Chapter Nine of the Ivory Child by H. Rider Haggard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Nine, The Meeting in the Desert. Now I do not propose to describe all our journey to Kenderland, or at any rate the first part thereof. It was interesting enough in its way, and we met with a few hunting adventures, also some others. But there is so much to tell of what happened to us after we reached the place that I have not the time even if I had the inclination to set all these matters down. Let it be sufficient, then, to say that although owing to political events the country happened to be rather disturbed at the time, we trekked through Zululand without any great difficulty. For here my name was a power in the land, and all parties united to help me. Thence, too, I managed to dispatch three messengers, half-bred bordermen, lean fellows and swift of foot, forward to the king of the Mazitu, as Hans had suggested that I should do, advising him that his old friends Macumazahan, watcher by night, and the yellow man who was named Light in Darkness and Lord of the Fire, were about to visit him again. As I knew we could not take the wagons beyond a certain point where there was a river called the Luba, unfordable by anything on wheels, I requested him, moreover, to send a hundred bearers with whatever escort might be necessary to meet us on the banks of that river at a spot which was known to both of us. These words the messengers promised to deliver for a fee of five head of cattle apiece to be paid on their return, or to their families if they died on the road, which cattle we purchased and left in charge of a chief who was their kinsman. As it happened, two of the poor fellows did die, one of them of cold in a swamp through which they took a short cut, and the other at the teeth of a hungry lion. The third, however, won through and delivered the message. After resting for a fortnight in the northern parts of Zululand, to give time to our way-worn oxen to get some flesh on their bones in the warm bushveld, where grass was plentiful even in the dry season, we trekked forward by a route known to Hans and myself. Indeed, it was the same which we had followed on our journey from Mizitu land after our expedition in search for the Holy Flower. We took with us a small army of Zulu bearers. This, although they were difficult to feed in a country where no corn could be bought, proved fortunate in the end, since so many of our cattle died from tetsi bite that we were obliged to abandon one of the wagons, which meant that the goods it contained must be carried by men. At length we reached the banks of the river, and camped there one night by three tall peaks of rock which the natives called the Three Doctors, where I had instructed the messengers to tell the Mazitu to meet us. For four days we remained here, since rains in the interior had made the river quite impassable. Every morning I climbed the tallest of the doctors, and with my glasses looked over its broad yellow flood, searching the wide bush-clad land beyond in the hope of discovering the Mazitu advancing to meet us. Not a man was to be seen, however, and on the fourth evening, as the river had now become fordable, we determined that we would cross on the morrow, leaving the remaining wagon, which it was impossible to drag over its rocky bottom, to be taken back to Natal by our drivers. Here a difficulty arose. No promise of reward would induce any of our Zulu bearers even to wet their feet in the waters of this river Luba which for some reason that I could not extract from them, they declared to be tegati, that is, bewitched, to people of their blood. When I pointed out that three Zulus had already undertaken to cross it, they answered that those men were half-breeds, so that for them it was only half-bewitched. 
but they thought that even so one or more of them would pay the penalty of death for this rash crime it chanced that this happened for as i have said two of the poor fellows did die though not i think owing to the magical properties of the waters of the luba this is how african superstitions are kept alive sooner or later some saying of any sort fulfils itself and then the instance is remembered and handed down for generations while other instances in which nothing out of the common has occurred are not heeded or are forgotten this decision on the part of those stupid zulus put us in an awkward fix since it was impossible for us to carry over all our baggage and ammunition without help therefore glad was i when before dawn on the fifth morning the nocturnal hans crept into the wagon in the after part of which ragnall and i were sleeping and informed us that he heard men's voices on the farther side of the river though how he could hear anything above that roar of water passed my comprehension at the first break of dawn again we climbed the tallest of the doctor rocks and stared into the mist at length it rolled away and there on the far side of the river i saw quite a hundred men who by their dress and spears i knew to be mazitu they saw me also and raising a cheer dashed into the water groups of them holding each other round the middle to prevent their being swept away thereupon our silly zulus seized their spears and formed up upon the bank i slid down the steep side of the great doctor and ran forward calling out that these were friends who came friends or foes answered their captain sullenly it is a pity that we should walk so far and not have a fight with these mazitu dogs well i drove them off to a distance not knowing what might happen if the two peoples met and then went down to the bank by now the mazitu were near and to my delight at the head of them i perceived no other than my old friend their chief general babemba a one-eyed man with whom hans and i had shared many adventures through the water he plunged with great bounds and reaching the shore greeted me literally with rapture o macumazahan he said little did i hope that ever again i should look upon your face welcome to you a thousand welcomes and to you too light in darkness lord of the fire cunning one whose wit saved us in the battle of the gate but where is dogeeta where is wazila and where are the mother and child of the flower far away across the black water babemba i answered but here are two others in place of them and i introduced him to ragnall and savage by their native names of agiza and bina he contemplated them for a moment then said this pointing to ragnall is a great lord but this pointing to savage who was much better dressed of the two is a cock of the ashpit arrayed in an eagle's feathers a remark i did not translate but one which caused hans to snigger vacuously while we breakfasted on food prepared by the cock of the ashpit who amongst many other merits had that of being an excellent cook i heard all the news bausi the king was dead but had been succeeded by one of his sons also named bausi whom i remembered beza town had been rebuilt after the great fire that destroyed the slavers and much more strongly fortified than before of the slavers themselves nothing more had been seen or of the pongo either though the mazitu declared that their ghosts or those of their victims still haunted the island of the lake 
That was all, except the ill tidings as to two of our messengers, which the third, who had returned with the Mazitu, reported to us. After breakfast I addressed and sent away our Zulus, each with a handsome present from the trade goods, giving into their charge the remaining wagons and our servants, none of whom, somewhat to my relief, wished to accompany us further. They sang their song of good-bye, saluted, and departed over the rise, still looking hungrily behind them at the Mazitu, and we were very pleased to see the last of them without bloodshed or trouble. When we had watched the white tilt of the wagon vanish, we set to work to get ourselves and our goods across the river. This we accomplished safely, for the Mazitu worked for us like friends, and not as do hired men. On the farther bank, however, it took us two full days to divide up the load so that the bearers could carry them without being overladen. At length all was arranged, and we started. Of the month's trek that followed there is nothing to tell, except that we completed it without notable accidents, and at last reached the new Beza town, which much resembled the old, where we were accorded a great public reception. Bowsey, too, himself headed the procession which met us outside the south gate, on that very mound which we had occupied in the great fight, where the bones of the gallant Mavovo and my other hunters lay buried. Almost did it seem to me as though I could hear their deep voices joining in the shouts of welcome. That night, while the Mazitu feasted in our honour, we held an indaba in the big new guest-house with Bowsey, too, a pleasant-faced young man, and the old Babemba. The king asked us how long we meant to stay at Beza town, intimating his hope that the visit would be prolonged. I replied, but a few days, as we were travelling far to the north to find a people called the Kenda whom we wished to see, and hoped that he would give us bearers to carry our goods as far as the confines of their country. At the name of Kenda a look of astonishment appeared upon their faces, and Babemba said, has madness seized you, Macumazahan, that you would attempt this thing? Or surely you must be mad? You thought us mad, Babemba, when we crossed the lake to Rika town, yet we came back safely. True, Macumazahan, but compared to the Kenda, the Pongo were but as the smallest star before the face of the sun. What do you know of them, then? I asked. But stay, before you answer, I will speak what I know and I repeated what I had learned from Hans, who confirmed my words, and from Harut and Marut, leaving out, however, any mention of their dealings with Lady Ragnall. "'It is all true,' said Babemba, when I had finished, "'for that old woman of whom light in darkness speaks was one of the wives of my uncle, and I knew her well. Hearken! These Kenda are a terrible nation, and—' countless in number and of all the people the fiercest their king is called simba which means lion he who rules is always called simba and has been so called for hundreds of years he is of the black kenda whose god is the elephant jana but as light in darkness has said there are also the white kenda who are arab men the priests and traders of the people the Kenda will allow no stranger within their doors. If one comes, they kill him by torment, or blind him, and turn him out into the desert which surrounds their country there to die. These things the old woman who married my uncle told me, 
as she told them to lighten darkness. Also I have heard them from others, and what she did not tell me, that the White Kendal are great breeders of the beasts called camels, which they sell to the Arabs of the north. Go not near them, for if you pass the desert the Black Kendal will kill you, and if you escape these then their king Simba will kill you, and if you escape him then the god Jana will kill you. And if you escape him, then their white priests will kill you with their magic. Oh, long before you look upon the faces of those priests, you will be dead many times over. Then why did they ask me to visit them, Babemba? I know not, Macumazahan, but perhaps because they wish to make an offering of you to the god Jana, whom no spear can harm, no, nor even your bullets that pierce a tree. I am willing to make trial of that matter, I answered confidently, and anyway we must go to see these things for ourselves. Yes, echoed Ragnall, we must certainly go, while even Savage, for I had been translating to them all this while, nodded his head, although he looked as though he would much rather stay behind. Ask him if there are any snakes there, sir, he said and foolishly enough I put the question to give me time to think of other things. "'Yes, O Bina, yes, O Cock of the Ashpit,' replied Babemba. "'My uncle's Kenda wife told me that one of the guardians of the shrine of the White Kenda is such a snake as was never seen elsewhere in the world.' "'Then sigh to him, sir,' said Savage, when I had translated almost automatically, that shrine ain't a church where i shall go to say my prayers alas poor savage little knew the future and its gifts then we came to the question of bearers the end of it was that after some hesitation bowsey too because of his great affection for us promised to provide us with these upon our solemnly undertaking to dismiss them at the borders of the desert so that they might escape our doom as he remarked cheerfully Four days later we started, accompanied by about one hundred and twenty picked men, under the command of old Babemba himself, who, he explained, wished to be the last to see us alive in the world. This was depressing, but other circumstances connected with our start were calculated to weigh even more upon my spirit. Thus the night before we left Hans arrived and asked me to write a paper for him. I inquired what he wanted me to put in the paper. He replied that as he was going to his death and had property, namely the six hundred fifty pounds that had been left in a bank to his credit, he desired to make a white man's will to be left in the charge of Babemba. The only provision of the said will was that I was to inherit his property if I lived. If I died, which, he added, of course you must, Bas, like the rest of us, it was to be devoted to furnishing poor black people in hospital with something comforting to drink instead of the cow's water that was given to them there. Needless to say, I turned him out at once, and that testamentary disposition remains unrecorded. Indeed, it was unnecessary, since, as I reminded him, on my advice he had already made a will before we left Durban, a circumstance that he had quite forgotten. The second event which occurred about an hour before our departure was that hearing a mighty wailing in the market-place, where once Hans and I had been tied to stakes to be shot to death with arrows, I went out to see what was the matter. 
At the gateway I was greeted by the sight of about a hundred old women plastered all over with ashes, engaged in howling their loudest in a melancholy unison. Behind these stood the entire population of Beza town, who chanted a kind of chorus. "'What the devil are they doing?' I asked of Hans. "'Singing our death song, boss,' he replied stolidly, "'as they say that where we are going no one will take the trouble to do so, and it is not right that great lords should die, and the heavens above remain uninformed that they are coming.' "'That's cheerful,' I remarked, and, wheeling around, asked Ragnall straight out if he wished to persevere in this business, for, to tell the truth, my nerve was shaken. "'I must,' he answered simply. "'But there is no reason why you and Hans should, or Savage either, for the matter of that.' "'Oh, I am going where you go,' I said. "'And where I go, Hans will go. Savage must speak for himself.' This he did, and to the same effect, being a very honest and faithful man. It was the more to his credit, since, as he informed me in private, he did not enjoy African adventure, and often dreamed at nights of his comfortable room at Ragnall, whence he superintended the social activities of that great establishment. So we departed, and marched for a matter of a month or more through every kind of country. After we had passed the head of the great lake, wherein lay the island, if it really was an island, where the Pongo used to dwell, one clear morning through my glasses I discerned the mountain-top that marked the former residence of the Mother of the Flower, and by contrast it made me feel quite homesick. We struck up north, following a route known to Babemba and our guides. After this we steered by the stars through a land with very few inhabitants, timid and nondescript folk who dwelt in scattered villages, and scarcely understood the art of cultivating the soil even in its most primitive form. A hundred miles or so further on these villages ceased, and thenceforward we only encountered some nomads, little bushmen who lived on game which they shot with poisoned arrows. Once they attacked us, and killed two of the Mazitu with those horrid arrows, against the venom of which no remedy that we had in our medicine-chest proved of any avail. On this occasion Savage exhibited his courage, if not his discretion, for rushing out of our thorn fence, after missing a bushman with both barrels at a distance of five yards, he was, I think, the worst shot I ever saw. He seized the little viper with his hands and dragged him back to camp. How Savage escaped with his life I do not know, for one poisoned arrow went through his hat and stuck in his hair, and another just grazed his leg without drawing blood. This valorous deed was of great service to us, since we were able through Hans, who knew something of the Bushman's language, to explain to our prisoner that if we were shot at again he would be hung. This information he contrived to shout, or rather to squeak and grunt, to his amiable tribe, of which it appeared he was a kind of chief, with the result that we were no more molested. Later, when we were clear of the Bushman country, we let him depart, which he did with great rapidity. By degrees the land grew more and more barren, and utterly devoid of inhabitants, till at last it merged into desert. At the edge of this desert, which rolled away without apparent limit, we came, however, to a kind of oasis, where there was a strong and beautiful spring of water that formed a stream which soon lost itself in the surrounding sand. As we could go no further, for even if we wished to do so, and were able to find water there, 
the mazitu refused to accompany us into the desert not knowing what else to do we camped in the oasis and waited as it happened the place was a kind of hunter's paradise since every kind of game large and small came to the water to drink at night and in the daytime browsed upon the saltish grass that at this season of the year grew plentifully upon the edge of the wilderness amongst other creatures there were elephants in plenty that travelled hither out of the bushlands we had passed or sometimes emerged from the desert itself suggesting that beyond this waste there lay fertile country so numerous were these great beasts indeed that for my part i hoped earnestly that it would prove impossible for us to continue our journey since i saw that in a few months i could collect an enormous amount of ivory enough to make me comparatively rich if only i were able to get it away as it was we only killed a few of them ten in all to be accurate that we might send back the tusks as presents to bowsey too to slaughter the poor animals uselessly was cruel especially as being unaccustomed to the sight of man they were as easy to approach as cows even savage slew one by carefully aiming at another five paces to its left for the rest we lived on the fat of the land and as meat was necessary to us had as much sport as we could desire amongst the various antelope for fourteen days or so this went on till at length we grew thoroughly tired of the business as did the mazitu who were so gorged with flesh that they began to desire vegetable food twice we rode as far into the desert as we dared for our horses remained to us and had grown fresh again after the rest but only to return without information the place was just a vast wilderness strewn with brown stones beautifully polished by the wind-driven sand of ages and quite devoid of water after our second trip on which we suffered severely from thirst we held a consultation old babemba said that he could keep his men no longer even for us as they insisted upon returning home and inquired what we meant to do and why we sat here like a stone i answered that we were waiting for some of the kendo who had bid me to shoot game hereabouts until they arrived to be our guides he remarked that the kendo to the best of his belief lived in a country that was still hundreds of miles away and that as they did not know of our presence any communications across the desert being impossible our proceedings seemed to be foolish i retorted that i was not quite so sure of this since the kendo seemed to have remarkable ways of acquiring information then macumazahan i fear that you will have to wait by yourselves until you discover which of us is right he said stolidly turning to ragnall i asked him what he would do pointing out that to journey into the desert meant death especially as we did not know whither we were going and that to return alone without the stores which we must abandon through the country of the bushmen to mazitu land would also be a risky proceeding however it was for him to decide now he grew much perturbed taking me apart again he dwelt earnestly upon his secret reasons for wishing to visit these kenda with which of course i was already acquainted as indeed was savage i desire to stay here he ended which means that we must all stay ragnall since savage will not desert you nor will hans desert me although he thinks us mad he points out that i came to seek ivory and hear about his ivory in plenty for the trouble of taking i might remain alone quatermain he began but i looked at him in such a way that he never finished the sentence 
Ultimately, we came to a compromise. Babemba, on behalf of the Mazitu, agreed to wait three more days. If nothing happened during that period, we on our part agreed to return with them to a stretch of well-watered bush about fifty miles behind us, which we knew swarmed with elephants, that by now were growing shy of approaching our oasis, where there was so much noise and shooting. There we would kill as much ivory as we could carry, an operation in which they were willing to assist for the fun of it, and then go back with them to Mazitu land. Three days went by, and with every hour that passed my spirits rose, as did those of Savage and Hans, while Lord Ragnall became more and more depressed. The third afternoon was devoted to a jubilant packing of loads, for in accordance with the terms of our bargain we were to start backwards on our spoor at dawn upon the morrow. Most happily did I lay myself down to sleep in my little bough-shelter that night, feeling that at last I was rid of an uncommonly awkward adventure. If I thought that we could do any good by staying on, it would have been another matter, but as I was certain that there was no earthly chance of our finding among the Kenda, if ever we reached them, the lady who had tumbled in the Nile in Egypt, well, I was glad that Providence had been so good as to make it impossible for us to commit suicide by thirst in a desert, or otherwise. For, notwithstanding my former reasonings to the contrary, I was now convinced that this is what had happened to poor Ragnall's wife. That, however, was just what Providence had not done. In the middle of the night, to be precise at exactly two in the morning, I was awakened by Hans, who slept at the back of my shanty, into which he had crept through a hole in the faggots, exclaiming in a frightened voice, "'Open your eyes and look, Bas. There are two spooks waiting to see you outside, Bas.' Very cautiously I lifted myself a little and stared out into the moonlight. There, seated about five paces from the open end of the hut, were the spooks, sure enough, two white-robed figures squatting silent and immovable upon the ground. At first I was frightened. Then I bethought me of thieves and felt for my colt pistol under the rug that served me as a pillow. As I got hold of the handle, however, a deep voice said, "'Is it your custom, O Makumazahan, watcher by night, to receive guests with bullets?' Now, thought I to myself, who is there in the world who could see a man catch hold of the handle of a pistol in the recesses of a dark place and under a blanket at night, except the owner of that voice which I seem to remember hearing in a certain drawing-room in England? Yes, Harut, I answered with an unconcerned yawn. When the guests come in such a doubtful fashion and in the middle of the night— but as you are here at last, will you be so good as to tell us why you have kept us waiting all this time? Is that your way of fulfilling an engagement? Oh, Lord Macumazahan, answered Harut, for of course it was he, in quite a perturbed tone, I offer to you our humble apologies. The truth is that when we heard of your arrival at Beza Town, we started, or tried to start, from hundreds of miles away to keep our tryst with you here, as we promised we would do. But we are mortal, Macumazahan, and accidents intervened. Thus, when we had ascertained the weight of your baggage, camels had to be collected to carry it, which were grazing at a distance. Also, it was necessary to send forward to dig out a certain well in the desert where they must drink hence the delay still you will admit that we have arrived in time five or at any rate four hours before the rising of that sun which was to light you on your homeward way 
"'Yes, you have, O prophets, or, O liars, whichever you may be,' I exclaimed with pardonable exasperation, for really their knowledge of my private affairs, however obtained, was enough to anger a saint. So, as you are here at last, come in and have a drink, for whether you are men or devils, you must be cold out there in the damp. In they came accordingly, and, not being Mohammedans, partook of a tot of square-face from a bottle which I kept locked in a box, to put Hans beyond the reach of temptation. "'To your health, Harut and Marut,' I said, drinking a little out of the pannikin and giving the rest to Hans, who gulped the fiery liquor down with a smack of his lips. For I will admit that I joined in this unholy midnight potation to gain time for thought and to steady my nerve. "'To your health, O Lord Mugumuzahan,' the pair answered as they swallowed their tots, which I had made pretty stiff, and set down their pannikins in front of them with as much reverence as though these had been holy vessels. Now, I said, throwing a blanket over my shoulders, for the air was chilly, now let us talk. And taking the lantern which Hans had thoughtfully lighted, I held it up and contemplated them. There they were, Harut and Marut, without doubt, to all appearance totally unchanged since some years before I had seen them at Ragnall in England. What are you doing here? I asked, in a kind of fiery indignation inspired by intense curiosity. How did you get out of England after you had tried to steal away the lady to whom you sent the necklace? What did you do with that lady after you had beguiled her from the boat of Abu Simbel? In the name of your holy child, or of Shaitan of the Mohammeds, or of the set of the Egyptians, answer me, lest I should make an end of both of you, which I can do here without any questions being asked, and I whipped out my pistol. Pardon us, said Harut, with a grave smile. But if you were to do as you say, Lord Macumazahan, many questions would be asked which you might find hard to answer. So be pleased to put that death-dealer back into its place, and to tell us before we reply to you what you know of set of the Egyptians. As much or as little as you do, I replied. Both bowed as though this information were of the most satisfactory order. Then Harut went on. In reply to your requests, O Mokumazahan, we left England by a steamboat, and in due course after long journeyings we reached our own country. We do not understand your allusions to a place called Abu Simbel on the Nile, whence never having been there we have taken no lady. Indeed, we never meant to take that lady to whom we sent a necklace in England. We only meant to ask certain questions of her, as she had the gift of vision, when you appeared and interrupted us. What should we want with white ladies, who already have far too many of our own? I don't know, I replied, but I do know that you are the biggest liars I ever met. At these words, which some might have thought insulting, Harut and Marut bowed again as though to acknowledge a great compliment. Then Harut said, let us leave the question of ladies and come to matters that have to do with men you are here as we told you that you would be at a time when you did not believe us and we here to meet you as we told you that we would be how we knew that you were coming and how we came do not matter at all believe what you will are you ready to start with us, O Lord Macumazahan, that you may bring to its death the wicked elephant Jana which ravages our land, and receive the great reward of ivory? If so, your camel awaits. 
"'One camel cannot carry four men,' I answered, avoiding the question. "'In courage and skill you are more than many men, O Mokumazahan, "'yet in body you are but one, and not four. "'If you think that I am going with you alone, "'you are much mistaken, Harut and Marut,' I exclaimed. "'Here with me is my servant, without whom I do not stir,' "'and I pointed to Hans, whom they contemplated gravely. "'Also there is the Lord Ragnall, who in this land is named Egeza, "'and his servant, who here is named Bina, "'the man out of whom you drew snakes in the room in England. "'They also must accompany us.' "'At this news the impassive countenances of Harut and Marut "'showed, I thought, some signs of disturbance. "'They muttered together in an unknown tongue. "'Then Harut said, our secret land is open to you alone, O Mukumazahan, for one purpose only, to kill the elephant Jana, for which deed we promise you a great reward. We do not wish to see the others there. Then you can kill your own elephant, Harut and Marut, for not one step do I go with you. Why should I, when there is as much ivory here as I want to be had for the shooting? How if we take you, O Mukumazahan? How if I kill you both, O Harut and Marut? Fools! Here are as many brave men at my command, and if you or any with you want fighting, it shall be given you in plenty. Hans, bid the Mazitu stand to their arms and summon Igeza and Bina. Stay, Lord, said Harut, and put down that weapon, for once more I had produced the pistol. We would not begin our fellowship by shedding blood, though we are safer from you than you think. Your companions shall accompany you to the land of the Kenda, but let them know that they do so at their own risk. Learn that it is revealed to us that if they go in there some of them will pass out again as spirits, but not as men. Do you mean that you will murder them? No. We mean that yonder are some stronger than us or any men who will take their lives in sacrifice. Not yours, Macumazahan, for that it is decreed is safe, but those of two of the others, which two we do not know. Indeed, Harut and Marut, and how am I to be sure that any of us are safe, or that you do but trick us to your country there to kill us with treachery and steal our goods? "'because we swear it by the oath that may not be broken. "'We swear it by the heavenly child,' both of them exclaimed solemnly, "'speaking with one voice and bowing till their foreheads almost touched the ground. "'I shrugged my shoulders and laughed a little. "'You do not believe us,' went on Harut, "'who have not heard what happens to those who break this oath. "'Come now and see something.' Within five paces of your hut is a tall ant-heap, upon which doubtless you have been accustomed to stand and overlook the desert. This was true, but how they did guess it, I wondered. Go climb that ant-heap once more. Perhaps it was rash, but my curiosity led me to accept this invitation. Out I went, followed by Hans with a loaded double-barreled rifle, and clambered up the ant-heap, which— as it was twenty feet high, and there were no trees just there, commanded a very fine view of the desert beyond. "'Look to the north,' said Harut, from its foot. I looked. 
and there in the bright moonlight five or six hundred yards away ranged rank by rank upon a slope of sand and along the crest of the ridge beyond i saw quite two hundred kneeling camels and by each camel a tall white-robed figure who held in his hand a long lance to the shaft of which not far beneath the blade was attached a little flag for a while i stared to make sure that i was not the victim of an illusion or a mirage then when i had satisfied myself that these were indeed men and camels i descended from the ant-heap you will admit mukumazahan said harut politely that if we had meant you any ill with such a force it would have been easy for us to take a sleeping camp at night but these men come here to be your escort not to kill or enslave you or yours now macumazahan we have sworn to you the oath that may not be broken now we go to our people in the morning after you have eaten we will return again unarmed and alone then like the shadows they slipped away End of chapter 9